Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance, my personal independent life and disability insurance agent. We will talk more about Pearson Rabbits later in this episode. Let's get into it. Today is round number 15 of the game. And Mike is going to need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. He has 15 minutes to complete the full case. He does not know what the case is ahead of time. If Mike hits all of the critical actions that I have listed out beforehand, he wins. And if he doesn't, or if he performs a dangerous action, I will win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Mike, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it, Zach. All right. Mike, take out a piece of paper and a pencil, place the paper sideways in front of you, outline a human body on the left side of it, and let me know when you're ready. I am ready, my friend. Dr. Estefan, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? I do not. All right, Dr. Estefan, you are working at Clerkship General Hospital. When EMS brings in your next patient, it's a 51-year-old female, Miss Emerson, and she has had an episode of syncope. She passed out. Okay. I walk into the room. What do I see? You see a 51-year-old female. Her name's Miss Emerson. Uh, she appears anxious. Okay. Uh, can we get her hooked up on the monitor and get an opening set of vitals? Nursing has placed her on the monitor. Her heart rate is 132. Her respiratory rate is 28. Her blood pressure is 105 over 69. Her O2 saturation is 85%. And a temperature? 100.2. 100.2. All right. Um, let's get two large bore IVs in her, start her on two liters nasal cannula, and I would like to talk to her. Is she awake, alert, talking? Uh, yes. Hi there, Dr. Estefan. My name is Miss Emerson. Okay. And also, before we begin, uh, could I get a AccuCheck on her? Sure. Uh, the tech gets an AccuCheck, uh, 100. Great. Glucose is 100. Yep. All right. Miss Emerson, what happened today? I, doctor, I, I really don't know. I was just, I was going on a walk, and next thing I, I knew, I was on the ground, and people were all around me. Okay. Um, do you remember anything before you passed out? Not really. I feel like maybe I was just kind of, I was walking, I started getting almost like like tunnel vision. I could tell something. I was I was not feeling good. I was going to sit down. I just started feeling kind of maybe a little short of breath and and that's all that's all i remember okay did you feel lightheaded before you passed out like you felt it coming on yeah it like? I, I i felt i felt dizzy has this ever happened to you before no it hasn't it was scary okay and you said you're feeling a little short of breath as well yeah i guess i don't know i, I might just be that i'm a little I, it's hard to tell I, yeah i guess i'm a little short of breath i'm anxious okay what other symptoms are you experiencing right now? Does anything else feel off to you? No, I, I just, it's just scary. Like, what do you think happened? I'm not sure yet, um, but we'll, we'll do our best to figure out. Are you having any chest pain right now? Uh, no, I'm not having any chest pain. Okay. Any cough recently? No, not really coughing. Okay. Have you felt feverish at home? 
No. Any new rashes anywhere? No. Nausea or vomiting? No. Belly pain? No. Any pain with urination? No. Any pain anywhere? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, what medical problems do you have? I don't have any medical problems. I'm pretty healthy. Okay. Do you take any medications? Um, just some pain medicine every once in a while. What pain medicine do you take? Acetaminophen hydrocodone. Okay. And what do you take that for? Well, I just had a, I broke my ankle, so I had ankle surgery on that. So the doctor gave it to me, but I don't like use it every day or anything. Okay. Do you have any allergies to meds? No allergies. Um, when, when did you have your ankle surgery? That was a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. Okay. Have you been coughing up any blood or anything like that? No. I would have gone to the emergency room for that. You don't take birth control or anything like that? Um, no. Those days are, those days are past. Do you smoke? No. Okay. Any family history of blood clots or anything like that? Goodness, no. All right. Alrighty. Um, let's see. Let's, let's do a stat EKG and chest x-ray. And what's her, um, can we get a repeat set of vitals now that she's on some oxygen? Sure. Give me just a second here. I'm sending you the EKG. I'm going to send you the x-ray. All right. So those should be crossing. Um, yeah. Repeat set of vitals. Uh, her, let's see, what was our first set of vitals? Um, so, uh, her heart rate is 134. Respiratory rate is 28. Her blood pressure is now 90 over 50. Her O2 saturation is 92%. Okay. Um, let's see. So this EKG looks very tacky with what looks like some, maybe some signs of demand ischemia, but it's, it's pretty diffuse depressions, but she's tacky. And then this x-ray, I'm seeing possibly a consolidation in the right lower lobe. Um, but that's about it. Um, okay. Can I do a bedside ultrasound real quick? And we can send off a rainbow on her, including blood cultures. Um, and so, um, blood work has been sent, uh, blood cultures, anything in particular you want, just blood cultures and yeah. So CBC, BMP, LFTs, I want a VBG. Um, we'll get coags on her. We can get it like a serum beta. She's 51. Um, blood cultures. Uh, I don't really care for a dimer right now. Um, we can check her urine as well. We could send tropes as well. All right, just to make sure I got it all CBC, BMP, VBG, LFTs, coags, um, urinalysis, troponin, and blood cultures. Analactate. Analactic. Okay, those have been sent. And I want to do a bedside echo really quick. Actually, oh, actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me examine the patient. Um, I fully undress her. Any signs of trauma? Any rashes? Um, she's got a cast on her right leg. She's got a cast. All right. 
Um, any redness or swelling that you can see? Um, no, I mean, it looks like the wound is healing well. Okay. Um, what's my cardiopulmonary exam? Um, her lungs are pretty clear. Her heart rate's fast, but there's no murmurs, no gallops, no rubs. Pulses are a little thin. Okay. Um, bilateral breath sounds. Uh, yes. Belly soft, non-tender. Yes. All right. Bedside echo. Um, what are you looking I, for? Signs of right heart strain, McConnell sign. Um, so, uh, sure. No McConnell sign. When you say signs of right heart strain, what are you looking, what are you, what are you looking at? So like the D sign, like right ventricle bowing in to the left ventricle. Um, sure. The, yeah, D sign. There's a D sign. All right. And then septal abnormalities during ventricular diastole. Uh, Any pericardial effusion? No. Okay. All right, so I am concerned that she is having a pulmonary embolism right now. She's post-op. Um, so at this point, um, she is, so she's, I would say, unstable at this point with signs of right heart strain. So this is, uh, this is like concerning for a massive PE at this point. Um I mean, I, oh. <laughs> I definitely want to give her heparin right now. The question is, do we thrombolyse? She's still awake talking to me. She is awake. She is talking. You have some uh, labs back. All right. Um, pretty much everything looks okay. I mean, the blood cultures aren't back, obviously. CBC yeah. and BMP were fine. Um, the LFTs, coags, everything was good. The trope was like 0.09. Okay. Let's, uh, let's give her some fluid. We'll give her a liter. And lactic acid was, sorry, and lactic acid was 3.5. Okay. I forgot about that one. But let's give her a liter of fluid. Um, and, uh, wait, wait, real quick. On the ultrasound, her ejection fraction... Oh, jeez. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. You can't visualize. You can't visualize. <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. Killing all right. me. You're smart. Don't be smarter than me. It's not a lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm knocking off a point. Uh, all right. I'm giving her a liter of fluid. Let's start a heparin drip. Um, and let's see. And then I'd like to revital her. Um, so you said revitals. You want to start a heparin drip. Okay, so her vitals right now, uh, you know, still not, still not too great, man. Uh, heart rate one thirty eight, respiratory rate twenty eight. Uh, let's see, blood pressure seventy over thirty. Um, O two saturation ninety two percent on uh, two liters. Lovely. All right. Um, and oh. um, the nurse wants to know what, as far as the heparin drip, what dose uh can i call pharmacy for um pulmonary embolism dosing for heparin sure yes dr estefan this is the pharmacist it's that time of the month again where you need our help of course (laughs) all right what do you what's your question uh so i have two questions real quick um number one heparin dosing in the setting of pulmonary embolism 80 units per kilogram IV bolus, 18 units per kilogram per hour, titrated to the PTT. 
Okay. And then my second question is, um, is TPA contraindicated after heparin is given? Um, it's not contraindicated, but usually you'd stop the heparin during administration of the TPA. All right. Thanks. We're going to hold off on the heparin drip and we're, uh, I have a third question. TPA dosing for massive pulmonary embolism. Oh man, you're going to owe us a beer. Um, so <laughs> TPA dosing, uh, 10 milligrams IV bolus, 90 milligrams IV over two uh, over two hours is your typical dosing. All right. Um, we're going to give this lady TPA. She um, She's too unstable to go to CAT scan, but based on her history and her exam and everything, I think she has a massive saddle pulmonary embolism. She's very unstable. Okay. Okay. TPA. Uh, nursing would like to clarify. Doc, why, why are we giving TPA? I strongly suspect she has a massive pulmonary embolism that is causing her hemodynamic instability, and she is too unstable to go to CAT scan to confirm my diagnosis. So we're just going to give it without the CAT scan? We are just going to give it without the CAT scan. You want me to start it right now? Yes. You sure? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm starting it. All right. TPA has been started. All right. Um, and let's let's call the ICU. Sure. Uh, bring, bring. This is the ICU. Um, actually, can we revital her before I talk to the ICU? <laughs> uh, we'll call back. We'll call back. Um, right. Vitals. Heart rate is, is 132. Respiratory rate, 26. Blood pressure. Uh... 100 over 70, O2 saturation, uh, 94%. All right. I, I'm satisfied. Let's, uh, I'll talk to the ICU now. All right. Bring, bring. This is the ICU doctor. Um, hey, this is Mike in the ED. I have a lady for you that um, we can send off to CT before she comes upstairs because I think she's a little more stable now, but. I strongly suspect she has a massive pulmonary embolism. She's 51 years old, recently post-op from an ankle surgery a couple weeks ago, um, syncopized while walking outside, came in feeling a little short of breath. She was tachycardic, uh, borderline hypotensive and hypoxic when she came in to Kipnik to 28. Um, her labs were for the most part unremarkable. She had signs of right heart strain on her blood work. Uh, with an elevated troponin. She also had an elevated lactate. Her x-ray looked pretty good, possibly a small consolidation, but it didn't. it's out of proportion to explain her symptoms. Um, her bedside ultrasound showed signs of right heart strain. So um, we were initially going to start heparin because she just had softest pressures, but um, she dropped down to 70s over 40s or something like that. Um, and so I made the decision to go ahead with TPA, um, which helped her pressure a bit. She's now more stable at 100 over 70. We will send her through CT on her way upstairs um, to confirm the diagnosis. All right. I guess we'll see her when she gets up here. She didn't hit her head or anything when she fell, did she? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll evaluate her. All right. We'll, we'll have our, we'll have our ICU students evaluate her. All right. They'll learn, they'll learn some basic exam skills here. All right. That <laughs> ends your case. All oh, right. zing. Sorry. 
That, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally should have looked for signs of head trauma before I pushed DPA. <laughs> All right. Let me stop the clock here. Hold on. Do-do-do. So before we get into how you did, let's talk about our sponsor for the month. So this episode was sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability and life insurance agent. And I know everybody listening is extremely focused on their education right now, but do not neglect your financial well-being. Let's focus on disability insurance today. Disability insurance is something that you want to set up sooner rather than later, even as a student or an early resident. And here is why. Here's three reasons. One is discounts. You get to lock in big time training discounts on your premiums that stick with you forever, even once you graduate and your income goes up and all of that, if you buy it now and you don't wait. But those discounts go away if you wait too long. Two, you might get disabled during training. It happens. There's always the chance that you, you're wrapping up and you break your procedure hand. You get diagnosed with cancer. All sorts of these things can happen that will disable you. It's pretty unlikely, but it does happen. And you want to protect yourself from that kind of stuff because of how much debt you have. It gives you peace of mind. And three, exclusions. This is probably the biggest one to me. When the insurance company does eventually write you the policy, whenever you get around to buying this, they're going to, have, they're going to want to exclude pre-existing injuries, pre-existing illnesses, and that kind of stuff. And they have a right to do that. And the longer you wait to buy, the more at risk you are of getting these exclusions. So this is something, again, I dealt with a little bit myself. You should be going to the doctor and taking care of your health while you're in training, but all it takes is something small getting entered into that health record. You came in one day and you're complaining of back pain. And all of a sudden, bam, there's a chance the insurance company's going to say, well, you know what, we'll insure you, but we'll, we're never going to insure anything related to your back. And that's not good. And obviously you want to avoid that. So discounts, early disability, avoiding exclusions are three big reasons why you want to buy this now. Go to pearsonravits.com, set up a no-pressure call, get your questions answered, and get this done. Again, you want to do this sooner rather than later, in my opinion. Thank you, Pearson Ravits. Thank you, Stephanie Pearson, for sponsoring this episode. Now, back to our case. Mike, how do you think you did? Oh, man, Zach. <laughs> I was all over the place here. Um, not too well. I think I got the diagnosis. I think I missed some questions I needed to ask, and... I'm not sure if I managed her totally correctly. Yeah, so I think that you did pretty well. I don't think this was a diagnostically very like subtle case. I think this was a pretty one to make pretty easy one to make the diagnosis on. Um, you your form, especially for the first half of the case, was really good. So let's go through some of these things you went you did really well. Uh, you took a history, you knocked down all the allergies, medical history, medications, all of that. You did all of the, the history taking, you did an exam, you, you examined her body. Um, another thing you did that was really good is you, you rechecked abnormal vitals. This is something that's really important that you're going to have to do. If you're ever doing like a SIM case or on, on when you do take your board someday, you need to recheck abnormal vital signs after you do an intervention. So when the patient comes in and they're 85% on room air and you put on two liters nasal cannula. It took a minute or two, but you're like, I want to recheck vitals and see where we're at, making sure that that oxygen goes up. Anytime the nurse, you know, the, the quote nurse comes to you on the case and says, oh, I think the patient's looking worse. You're restarting your vitals. So you just want to constantly be re-updating the patient appearance and the patient vitals. And you did a pretty good job of that. Um, you made the diagnosis well. I actually didn't in my mind foresee the case kind of going this way. I, I guess I didn't really think a lot about using bedside ultrasound. I don't, I don't do it a ton for PE, to be honest. I know it's within my, my scope of practice, but usually I just ship them off to the scanner. 
um, that's actually, I think you did a really good job with the ultrasound on that. And you knew a lot of the, the findings for that, like McConnell sign and the D sign. And, um, I think what's another one, like RV LV ratio, which is kind of like the little bit of the D sign, but, um, the, let's talk about, let's see here, the EKG, you, you read correctly. There's several findings of PE on the EKG. Um, you'll notice that the patient on the CKG, the patient's a little bit tachycardic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll notice a little bit of a right bundle branch block. Um, so you can see that too, a little bit of a right axis deviation. Um, and then sometimes with those right bundle branch, you see those T wave inversions in like V1, V2, uh, all kind of signs of P. It's a very PE looking EKG actually, having seen a few of these. Um, as far as the chest x-ray, what was that consolidation? What was that opacity? Is that a... Oh my gosh, what's it called? Like Hampton's hump or something? Yeah, that's a Hampton's hump. So I was trying to throw you, I mean, you didn't fall for it at all. Um, But this is a pitfall, right? So you have a patient, they got a temperature of 100.2. Now the nurse says they're tachycardic, their blood pressure is soft, they're requiring oxygen. They get, you know, sepsis alert. It's a sepsis alert. We're calling it, you know, sepsis alert. (laughs) Dr. Estefan to room three for a sepsis alert, right? And then you get in there and the freaking portable chest is already done and you see an infiltrate. And so now you have a tachycardic cardiac hypotensive hypoxemia patient with a, a chest x-ray that reads you know opacity right lower lobe clinically clinically correlate you know infection versus edema versus whatever you know <laughs> the classic yeah. radiology read mm-hmm. so you, it's very easy especially with that temp to go down the wrong pathway and actually i do a lecture on the misdiagnosis of pulmonary embolism and uh, the most common misdiagnosis in in cases where the PE was misdiagnosed is actually pneumonia. And so, um, but you can, I was trying to kind of maybe set that up a little bit, but you were all over it. Cause the, the big thing with the misdiagnosis of pneumonia is you're telling people they have pneumonia and that doesn't fit the clinical picture, right? They're not, you're asking repeatedly, like, are you coughing? Like, are you coughing anything up? Have you felt sick? Um, and obviously in a patient with pneumonia, if they're like, yeah, I'm coughing up brown sputum. I felt terrible. You know, I had the flu two weeks ago, that kind of thing. But that is a Hampton's hump on that x-ray. You did a good job sidestepping that pitfall. So one thing that tripped me up in the beginning of this case was that temperature of 100.2. And, you know, especially post-op, I was like, is she septic? What is going on? Just like Zach said. Um, But I think it's important to note that a presenting sign of DVT or even PE can be a low-grade temperature. And that's probably where this is coming from. Um, but you diagnose PE very well. You diagnose it without a CT. And as I'm, I'm thinking through this, I'm like, man, I, I don't think it's wrong to start. It's definitely not wrong to start heparin based off what you're seeing. Um, I guess I, the way I wrote it out was the patient would kind of crump when they're getting back from CT, but you kept rechecking the vitals so quickly. <laughs> that I was like, uh, do I crump them now or do I, it's going to be awkward if I suddenly crump them later. You know, it's a, um, I can, that got a little weird, but, um, I, I've never given TPA without a CTA confirming PE. I, I, you know, whatever yeah, th- clinical that, scenario. I mean, I suppose with like, <laughs> uh, I suppose with cardiac arrest, right? Like you don't have a CT confirming that. And if you have a, a casted leg with that swollen, you know, patient that, you know, is cyanotic from the waist, you know, just weird stuff like that, then yeah, I'd give TPA without <laughs> a CT, I guess. It's a little, I, I, it's pretty aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I th- So this is what was going through my mind. I got a set of vitals. who was like 90 over 50 or something. Um, and then 
I was going to start the heparin and then I rechecked the vitals and they were worse. And I was like, oh, is he, he's pushing me to go to the next step yeah. up. That's where yeah, I thought I, that was going. No. And, and your, your thinking is, is good with that. And that's how you should think on test day. But keep in mind, you know, I'm writing, I'm pulling this out of my butt as I go, you know, yeah. so but I can see how it start to kind of put you down the road. So I don't necessarily blame you for trying to, to get stuck in the, do I give TPA or not without a CT? I can see how I, I wouldn't credit you on this for that but you did do one thing wrong um that i would consider a dangerous action and there's one thing that you potentially could have done um in addition to fluids to help the blood pressure so let's talk about those so what do you think uh is something you could have done to improve the patient's stability uh maybe initiating heparin um to get a ct probably start a presser yeah you could probably start a presser there um depending on how hypotensive they're getting um then you did you did a dangerous action, and what was that? I gave her TPA without scanning her head in the setting of trauma. Well, and not necessarily. So um, she, if you EMS had brought her in, if you had asked EMS for history, which is another thing you can do, uh, she would have been lowered to the ground. She didn't have any, you know, I very much wrote it in. Um, she would did not sustain any injuries during this. But okay. as a more general concept, um, is is what do you need to do before you give TPA to anybody? A stroke, a PE? All the ri- just... all the contraindications. Yeah, exactly. You need to go through some of the contraindications to it, which would be what? Like, like just a few of them. You don't. Yeah. Prior intracranial hemorrhage, um, on blood thinners. There's there's a whole whole boat. Right, and some of those, I think, you know, you could get away. I think, it, you know, because you were like, are you on any medications? Do you have any medical history? So in theory, you kind of covered some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that in this case, you should have verbalized going through contraindications. Um, said she didn't hit her head, did she? She doesn't have, and just to confirm, she's not on any other medicines. Just maybe I think that um, you should have articulated that. Sure. And in this case, if I was cruel, I mean, I she didn't have an intracranial injury or anything like that. But um you could easily see how you could you could completely fail the case. Yeah. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but you actually did you actually did really well until you gave the TPA and just didn't you know kind of slow yourself down there and at least ask a few of those questions. Yeah, that's kind of my that's kind of my opinion. Um, I let's go through our critical actions for the case here. So you gave supplemental oxygen. Um, I put down assess contraindications to TPA. Um, the correct thing was to do thrombolytics. So the way I'd set it up is you were going to have to give that. Um, um, the other thing, and this was more of a topic a few years ago, actually, have you heard anything on kind of doing this half dose TPA, um, doing like a, a smaller dose? Yeah, um, I have the topic. Yeah. What have you heard on that? Bring so, me up to date. Oh, I'm I'm not the, the most up to date here. I just know it's a thing. Well, and when I studied it a few years ago, the setting of, of that when I was reading about that was this concept. They were for a while and I, I actually haven't seen my hospital is not like this, but they're pretty aggressive giving TPA even for quote, submassive PE. So they're not floridly hypotensive, but they're tropes up. They got right heart strain on the, you know, ultrasound or the CT that you can see mm-hmm. and potentially that there was a benefit to giving TPA to those people as well. And then kind of that wrapped into this whole, well, do we give a smaller dose? So I, I actually, I haven't updated myself in the last few years on that. I have not done that myself. It's, I think it's an interesting thought. Um, 
But I think as far as the big takeaways from this case, the things there's a couple that I, I wanted you to learn, like kind of learning points um, besides the clinical stuff. I think you did a really good job reassessing the vitals. And I, I don't think you can reassess the vital signs too much unless it's like so much that you're just losing time. But it's hard to be like, can I recheck the vitals again? Can I recheck the vitals again? Like, I don't <laughs> think that's going to hurt you. If it, What it hurts you is not rechecking them. Yeah. And I mean, um, in, in real life, right? Like if I have someone unstable, oh, totally. one of the first things I do in the room is go to the monitor and I change the cycle time to like two minutes on the blood pressure cuff. You know, exactly. Well, and frequently, right? Like the patient will be laying on there doing something weird with their cuff and then you get this weird low blood pressure and now you're, you know, you just let that sit on the chart for a while. You'll see that happen. Um, nursing will just auto populate into the charting, like a blood pressure of like 80 over 30 and they're totally fine. They're there with like, you know, a runny nose and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> but if you, if you see that and you're rechecking vitals, you just repeat it and you just leave a reevaluation note saying, I'm not sure what happened. The nurse think maybe the patient was laying on the cuff weird. I just rechecked the blood pressure. It's fine. That goes a long way in case something ever bad does happen with that. Yeah. Um, it's like a classic risk management thing, like always dropping that reexamination note saying, you know, the previous tachycardia, right? They come in with a heart rate of 120, but they're vomiting and it could just be a stomach bug. But when you don't recheck the vitals and you send them home and the only documented heart rate is 120 and a respiratory rate of 22, but it's because they're like actively vomiting, right? So yeah. it always looks good. Like I reassess the patient, uh, they're tolerating PO, their heart rate's now 80. They state they feel much better. That goes a long way in, in showing that you're, you know, right to discharge somebody. So it's a big risk management thing. But um, checking the vitals, uh, I thought you did a good job of. I don't think, I mean, it's really hard to overdo that piece of this. Again, a few times I may have to have, I may develop a case around this theme, but keep in mind that even, and this includes on the ABEM test, you're able to ask for other sources of history in, in addition to the patient. So you can say, can, are there any old hospital records? Can I talk to EMS? Um, things like that. You're, it's totally kosher for you to do that. Okay. Um, so sometimes you can get some extra hints. Can I call family? Um, those types of things. Usually if you ask one or two of those on a, on a case where there's not a lot of information um, or if you're missing, you feel like you might be missing something or the patient's unresponsive, definitely you want to do that. Like if you have a patient that's floridly altered, you want to be like, can I get records from the, you know, and like even on the test day, they'll have a sheet. If that exists, like they'll have a sheet of like old, like allergies and everything. So um, that can be a useful trick. Um, was there anything else on this? Patient vitals. Oh, yeah, and just, I suppose, the management of massive PE, which you're all over the right management of it. You just didn't address the contraindications. So pulling it all together, um, I think that I win this round because you didn't assess for the contraindications to TPA, and I'm being a stickler. But I think in the real mm -hmm. life, that actually could have ended badly. Um, but otherwise, I mean, up until that, it was dang near perfect. So cool, man. Good job Thanks. overall. Um, <laughs> Anything new with residency? You're you're doing like sim wars or something, right? No pressure. Or <laughs> uh, see when this posts, you'll be done with sim wars, and everyone can look and see how you did. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, sim wars this year is virtual. Emra's sim wars, and um, luckily my program was one of the programs that got selected in the random lottery, however they do it, uh, to be one of the eight teams. So I am one of the team members on the sim wars team, and it airs live tomorrow which will be thursday what's the date it would be october 29th 
um, all the stuff is pre-recorded, and they just kind of show the videos uh, live, I guess, at that time. Um, it was really, yeah, it was really fun doing the the first two episodes. I mean, I won't, I won't, I guess I wouldn't be spoiling anything because this is going to come out a couple days after. But um, they were really well-designed cases, and uh, they made use of the virtual format. They did well with the virtual format. I should say that. Interesting. Well, good luck. I'm sure you did great. I'm sure you did great. Thanks, man. Um, unless you're like, oh, God, I just had a, a massive PE and I didn't ask there either. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, good times. Anyways. All right. Well, that that wraps up the episode. Everybody, uh, send us an email. Uh, I'm Z-A-C-K, Zach at emclerkship.com. You can also get a hold of Mike at emclerkship.com. You can give him some moral support after his his crushing defeat here this month. <laughs> and um, until next month, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.